Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and so glad that you're joining me today. Today and tomorrow, I'll be talking about teamwork makes the dream work. Now, that's a common phrase, and if you've ever been part of a team, you have probably heard that phrase before. But let's talk about game changers, why we should pull together, and what happens when we pull together, why don't we often pull together like we should. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, down into chapter number 2. So let's talk about this subject of teamwork making the dream work. Well, there's a couple things that I want to drive home before we go too far. Number one is that oftentimes we don't work together because we have a misunderstanding of things. Here's a very important point. Things are temporary and should be used and enjoyed, never loved and worshipped. Things get in the way of a whole lot of things, right? But they're temporary. They don't last forever. We are never commanded to love things, but we're told to love people. There are things like tools that help us to accomplish God's purpose in our lives. Here's another point that I think is so vital when you're involved in teamwork. Christians are forever and should be loved and respected, never used or devalued. Listen, we're going to live forever, the soul. The real part of me is going to live forever. If I'm born again, my soul is going to be in heaven. The moment that I die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I die, my soul is going to exit my body. My body is a shell that will be decomposed and put into the ground or or will be burned or whatever they do. But my soul, the real part of me, is going to live on forever. My third point, God's word is eternal. It should be honored. It should be obeyed, never disregarded or disobeyed. And so when we look at teamwork makes the dream work, Paul says, since you have purified your souls, okay, we have a soul, in obeying truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of the man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So let's look at this at a deeper level. Again, all things are temporary, should be used and enjoyed, never loved or worshipped. Paul says, if you are rich, command those who are rich, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, that's something that is temporary, it's uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, no matter how devastating our struggles may be, or our disappointments may be, or our troubles are, they are temporary. No matter what happens to you, 
no matter the depth of the tragedy that you may face or the pain that you may feel, no matter how death stalks you, you're loved. The resurrection promises you that you have a future, and that future is immeasurably good. That's how God rolls. So Paul tells us, because of this, we should keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now listen, I know money talks, right? And it talks to me all the time. As a matter of fact, it's always saying goodbye to me. But Paul tells us, keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Money will leave you. But Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Things are temporary. Use them and enjoy them, but never love them and worship them. There's only one thing that should be worshiped. Worship the Lord your God and Him only. Secondly, Christians are forever. They should be loved. They should be respected. Never used, never devalued. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, he says, I beg of you, brothers, and I want you to love those who labor among you. Love those who are over you and those who admonish you. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So Paul here is addressing how we should treat one another. Esteem others highly in love for their work's sake. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. He told the Philippian believers not to be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but humbly think of others as better than yourselves. You see, all this is foundational for teamwork that makes the dream work. There's a third point. God's word. It's eternal. It should be honored, obeyed, never disregarded or disobeyed. Isaiah reminds us that the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. It withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. The psalmist says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. You know, I've had a wonderful opportunity over the last couple weeks. I've been up to the Bible Museum two times in the last week. I went up a week ago Saturday with a group of about 50 people from Hickory Ridge Community Church, and man, we had a blast. We loaded into the church vans, drove up there, spent the whole day up there, and had a wonderful experience as we looked at how God has preserved His Word and, and how God's Word has influenced culture. It has influenced music and movies. It's influenced those who are incarcerated. It's influenced our politics. It's even influenced the way we offer up the law in the United States of America. Oh, the Word of God is amazing. It has influenced science and technology. It has influenced uh, geography. I mean, it's just amazing when you think about it, how God's Word has been involved in so many parts of our lives. God's Word is eternal. It should be honored. It should be obeyed. And so I had so much fun going to the Bible Museum with my church family that my mom was visiting my sister who lives in Northern Virginia. And I said, hey, let's go to the Bible Museum. She had never been. 
and my sister was down with some of her kids. And so my daughter and I and my son and and daughter-in-law, we drove up there and went to the Bible Museum a second time. You know, I got even more out of it the second time than I did the first time. God's word is eternal. It should be honored. It should be obeyed, never disregarded or disobeyed. Because when a culture rejects God's word, it's also rejecting God and the blessings that God has for us. But when we think about how God gives us concrete illustrations of how we can live our lives, I think about magnets. The six things that we know about magnets. Almost everyone knows these six basic facts about how magnets behave. But sometimes we forget about them, right? You know, a magnet has two ends. They're called poles, one of which is called the north or the north-seeking pole. The other is called the south or the south-seeking pole. Well, there's a lot of good biblical analogy here. Did you know that we have two fleshes? We have the old man, and we have the new man. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to one another. So to prevent you from doing what you would, follow the Spirit, because you're not under the law, but you should be led by the Spirit. Here's the second thing about magnets that give us a wonderful understanding spiritually. The North Pole of one magnet attracts the South Pole of a second magnet. When the North Pole of one magnet repels the magnet's North Pole. So we have a common saying, like poles repel unlike poles attract, or we could say opposites attract. Now, as Christians, we must remember that we are both attractional and repulsive. So are non-Christians. You see, righteousness is both attractional and repulsive. Sin is both attractional and repulsive. Here's a third lesson that we learn about magnets. A magnet creates an invisible area of magnetism all around it, and it's called a magnetic field. When we look at compassion and mercy, it is a magnetic field that as believers we attract people to Christ. We have this wonderful opportunity to do that. Kennedy and Newcomb in their book details the rise of charity in the name of Jesus over the centuries. Now, this is a stark contrast of history. You know, before Jesus, historians found really no evidence of charity. That's why Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan was earth-shaking, because you never cared about anybody else who was left on the side of the road. You think about how the Bible has influenced us, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is the basis of Good Samaritan laws in our world today. It's a law that protects you if you try to help somebody. For example, if somebody's having a heart attack, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're having a heart attack, they have passed out. Their heart has stopped. They're unconscious. They can't speak. They're not breathing. There's no pulse. 
and you go over and do CPR and you save that person. And that person gets so ticked off because in the process of doing CPR, you cracked a couple of ribs. And now this guy that you saved his life, but you've cracked a couple of ribs and he wants to come back and he wants to sue you. Well, you're protected by good Samaritan laws. Now, I don't know anybody that would be audacious enough to go ahead and bring lawsuit against you, but in this crazy day and age, you think that somebody would, right? And they would come back and bring a suit against you because you broke a couple of ribs. It's like, I saved your life. And you're worried about a couple of ribs? So good Samaritan laws protect us. You know, an important aspect of Jesus' ministry was his emphasis on helping the neediest and the lowliest in society. When we look at that parable of the Good Samaritan, it is a classic illustration that is still part of our language today. Where there are good charitable efforts outside of the name of Jesus, Kennedy and Newcomb in their book argues that Christian charities stand out. They point to Mother Teresa, the Salvation Army, religious hospitals, and church-supported soup kitchens and, and thrift shops and, and they're in every community. Jesus had such an enormous impact on charity that one wonders how different things would be if he had never been born. Think about education. From the beginning of Judaism, from which Christianity is derived, there was an emphasis on the written word. When I went to the Bible Museum, I saw a replica of the Gutenheimer Press, where the first Bible was printed. You know, the phenomenon of education for the masses, even the public school system in our country, was started for the primary purpose of teaching children to read so they could read the Bible. The phenomenon of education for the masses has its roots actually in the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation started because the Bible was able to be printed and the Bible was able to be read. So in order to promote biblical literacy, Christians have been leaders in education. This trend has accelerated the advent of the printing press, the advent of the Protestant Reformation. Many of the world's religions were first set to writing by Christian missionaries in order for people to read the Bible. In America, the first law to require education of the masses was actually passed by the Puritans way back in 1647. And it was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Now, this name was a reference to the devil, obviously, who Christians believe gets his foothold in the people's lives because of their ignorance of Scripture. So the Puritans said, uh, we're going to have education for the masses so they can see through the tactics of that old Satan. Don't you love that? Well, something else that we can learn about a magnet. The North Pole of the magnet points roughly towards Earth's North Pole and vice versa. That's because Earth itself contains magnetic materials and behaves like a giant magnet. You know, as Christians, our lives should always be pointing others to Christ, who is up in heaven, sitting on the right hand of God. Oh, I pray for you that you are living a lifestyle 
that is pointing to Jesus Christ. When others see your life, they say, I don't know Jesus, but I see you pointing to him. There's another point about a magnet. You know, if you cut a bar magnet in half, it's a bit like cutting an earthworm in half, right? You get two brand new smaller magnets, each with its own north and south pole. Now, obviously I'm joking. You don't get two worms if you cut a worm in half, but you do get two magnets. That's what happens when we are cut in half. The enemy comes along and persecutes us, and and he's thinking that that's going to diminish the cause of Christ, but it doesn't. The early church faced perpetual and ongoing persecution. The enemy kept thinking, well, if I cut them back, then that will reduce the message, but it caused the message to multiply. There's something else about a magnet. Sixth point, if you run a magnet a few times over an unmagnetized piece of metal material like iron or a nail, you can convert that into a magnet as well. It's called magnetization. And as we think about that, that's what ought to be happening to us. And uh, I'm sorry I mispronounced that word, but I, I had a brain freeze, okay? You ever have those when you're, you're drinking a Slurpee from 7-Eleven? Well, sometimes that happens to our brains too, right? But that metal takes on that form of that magnet. Well, let's talk about unity. Unity makes all this possible. When we have a purified soul, when we're obedient to God's truth, when we are sincere in love. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Oh, Christ-like love is a sincere love. It's the same love that God has for sinners. It's the same love that we have for the Savior. It is an unconditional love that we have. It should be love without hypocrisy, where we abhor what is evil, but we cling to what is good. We're devoted to one another because of this love. You know, this love also is a maturing love. You know, the maturing process is the more you become mature, the more you show your behavior as the behavior of Christ. When you think about becoming a mature person, you will never become mature as long as you are controlled by your circumstances. We're called to live above our circumstances. We're called to live in godly wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.6 that when we speak, We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We're not driven by the circumstances of life. We realize that we are maturing and we are growing in wisdom that comes from Christ. A mature believer is also a spirit-controlled believer. Whenever the Bible says, be ye self-controlled, it's really being spirit-controlled not based upon the wisdom of this world, but being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, brothers and sisters, in 1 Corinthians 14, don't think like children. Now, he says, when it comes to evil, be like children, be like babies, be innocent, but think like mature believers. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be 
childish in your understanding of these things, but be innocent as babes when it comes to evil, but mature in your understanding of what matters of this kind. Paul reminds us that the Spirit controls us, and as a result of that, we have wisdom that's not wisdom from the world, but is heavenly wisdom. Paul says, I'm going to press on toward this goal so that I can win the prize for which God has called me heavenly word in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul is so adamant about this that he says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. He says, all of us then who are mature should take the same view of things. If on some point you think differently, that too will be made clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Well, we've covered a lot of information today. I want to encourage you to tune in tomorrow as we continue on this study of how we can mature and how teamwork makes the dream work. And so tomorrow, I'm going to give you several passages of Scripture that deal with how we can mature in the Lord. So please make a point to join me tomorrow. I promise you, you'll not be disappointed. Tomorrow is Friday. We're getting toward the end of the week. And so I want to remind you that Easter is just a few weeks away. And I would love to have you join me on Easter Sunday as we worship the risen Savior. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Easter is one of my favorite holidays, and I love celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But if I can help you with anything, please feel free to give me a call. You know, every Thursday morning, I get a group of people together and we pray. Maybe you don't know how to pray. I would encourage you to come and listen to our prayer time. If you're interested in in having more information about our prayer time, you can either send me a prayer request and I'll add that to our prayer list. Or if you want to join us on the conference call, if you shoot me a text, I will give you that information. I'll give you the number you need to call in. I'll give you the access code you have to have to join us on Thursday morning prayer time, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. every single Thursday. My cell phone number is 252-267-2365. Shoot me a text and I'll give you that information. Say, hey, I want to join the conference, the prayer conference call, and I'll send that information to you, okay? Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to give you the example that Paul says. He says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know when that happens? Verse 14 says, when you grow up in that measure of the fullness of Christ, you will no longer be an infant. You no longer be tossed back and forth by the winds, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their defeatful scheming. Instead, you'll be able to speak the truth in love. You will grow up in every respect to be the mature body of him who is heard. That is Christ. You know, the goal for every believer is not just to grow old in the Lord, but to grow up in the Lord to be mature. You know, God has blessed us with five amazing kids. Our youngest son is um, very low-functioning, autistic, has some health issues. 
one of the key indicators that he had in his life that I knew something was wrong is that he never matured. He never spoke. Uh, He never even put words out there. Uh, He never was able to grow up in certain aspects. He always acted like an infant. The reason he acts like an infant is because his mind is never developed beyond the mind of an infant. He has what they call infantile autism. Oh, he's six foot one and 320 pounds, but he has the mind of an infant. He never grew up. He never has matured intellectually. Oh, his body is matured, but his mind is not. So he's like an infant, tossed to and fro. But you know, as believers, when we are in the Word of God, we begin to develop a mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we can think like Christ because we have the Spirit of God living in in us, and that will make the difference in our lives. Thank you so much for joining me today. If I can pray for you, 252-267-2365. Give me a call. I'd love to pray for you today. God bless you for listening. I pray that you have a safe drive home, and I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.